Record, our bi-weekly show in which we take one recently released album and take a deep dive into it. You can listen to us every other Thursday at 9.30 a.m. on BFF.fm or subscribe to the podcast at ForTheRecordPodcast.com. This week we're talking about the new Slater Kinney album, No Cities to Love. And, you know, Janet Wise, the drummer, said in an interview recently that she had wanted this album to be, and I'm quoting here, undeniable, like it would drop like a bomb so you couldn't deny it. And at least in my opinion, that is exactly what they did. track price tag and i just have to say that this band is back and i am so happy about that fact because i'm just gonna provide this disclaimer at the beginning of the episode you're well aware but maybe our listeners aren't that i'm kind of a super fan and pretty much the everything in this episode is going to be based on the assumption that this band is just operating on a different level from everyone else in music that everything they do is pretty much better than everything everyone else does and every time i say anything about the band that's going to be kind of the underlying premise this is your all-time favorite band but we agreed that you were going to rein it in for the podcast i'd like to think that i will be able to do that maybe just hear a little at the beginning maybe a little at the end and try and keep it normal in the middle (laughs) to the extent that i'm ever normal i think that we have to pause for a minute here and address the what i call the who is the arcade fire issue and if that doesn't mean anything to you google it because it's very funny but to us and everyone we know slater kinney getting back together was they were gone for almost a decade and this was enormous news and yet i have to keep in mind that for most of america they have no idea who they are and in fact there are probably more people now who recognize carrie brownstein from portlandia than they do for her being a rock star so just to set up where this album is coming from this is a band that went on hiatus at a time when critics were calling them america's greatest rock band they had put out their most successful album so far, which was The Woods, and they had moved from Kill Rock Stars to Sub Pop, which was a much higher profile label. And then they just stopped. They didn't say they were breaking up. They just said they were going on hiatus. But then that hiatus lasted for years and years. And no one had any idea that they were even recording together again. And there had been some rumors. And Carrie Brownstein's other project, Wild Flag, kind of went on hiatus for no explained reason. So that triggered some rumors. But they did a surprisingly good job of keeping it a secret. Oh, it was amazing. We've only just known in the last couple months that this was coming, but we have had a couple of months to look forward to it. 
and to worry that it might not go well. Yeah, I mean, every time you would get excited about hearing a rumor, I would be like, just simmer down, simmer down, because I've just had so many of my beloved bands from the 90s come back and do things that were really disappointing. And well, within the last year, we had the dismemberment plan come back and make an album on Kenny Valley that was terrible. And so I, I was tempering my expectations. Well, I, I had faith, and I'm, I'm happy to say that it was rewarded that they have come back. And I mean, in this opening track, they start with that distinctive sound, that really low guitar. And I think one of the interesting things about this band is that they don't have a bassist and they just tune their guitars down a note and a half from the normal E down to a C sharp. And so everything is just a little meatier and rougher. And I think they come in with this song and remind us right away, here's how we sound and we don't need a bassist. (laughs) But from the bigger picture that this song somehow manages to combine that really expansive sound that we heard on the woods that was getting maybe a little out of hand, but then marries it to this tight songwriting that is, I think, the hallmark of their earlier work and Dig Me Out, sort of the first record I heard from them that still is a personal favorite. And in the song, not only is the songwriting so tight, it's also, you know, this vivid portrait. It's very political where they're able to combine this idea of the micro scale of someone struggling in this new economy and then still kind of turning a spotlight on the bigger picture of like, well, how is that economy happening? How are our individual decisions contributing to that where, oh, these prices of these imported goods are so cheap. Let's go to Walmart. Oh, wait, now no one has money to afford anything. And then they're really able to empathize with that kind of low income worker who's struggling to try and be a part of the middle class and is not ever going to succeed. Yeah. And I know that the, the critique could be made. I think you even voiced a concern in earlier chat that maybe are they in a position to, to they're successful in all in the different regards, especially Carrie Brownstein, but all of them are doing pretty well. But I think that they've always been a champion of the kind of, of the little guy or little woman struggling to get by. And I think that they are worthy of saying this. But I think, interestingly, they're not just about politics. Then I think, as makes sense for you know a comeback and reunion album, they don't want to call it that. But let's face it, it is that they do want to talk about what does it mean to be in a band, and especially what does it mean to be in a band again after a decade away. And so in this next song, they do specifically address that near decade-long absence, and that's a track called Hey Darling. Hey darling, you're not home, this is your phone though, right? Explanations are in, but I feel it's time You want to know where I've been for such a long time Disappearing
that's actually the penultimate track, but I felt like we had to play it up here because it's essentially their apology for being gone so long. And I just love how the tone is so perfect. It's so obsequious and you get this kind of thing that we've all done, I think, where you're kind of apologizing, but you're like, hey, darling, hey, sweetie, everything's cool, right? You're not mad. And and I just find it very charming. And they kind of disappeared without any explanation. And of course, now in retrospect, we understand what was going on and corn really wanted to drop out and play mommy for a while and carrie was actually having some intense anxiety and panic attacks about performing and the touring schedule was really kind of wearing on her mental health she just felt like she really needed a break and i feel like this song does a really good job of not dwelling or not being too apologetic but just kind of saying hey this is what went on and we're sorry and we're back I really appreciated the balance that this song manages to strike, where it's this enthusiasm for being back in the band and back with an audience. We were meant to be infinitely by your side. Such a great turn of phrase. And at the same time, acknowledging like, hey, this is kind of tough on us. There are things we had to give up to be here and we're only human and maybe asking for a little empathy there. You know, I'll say this is a song that didn't immediately grab me, but it's been growing on me. There's still have misgivings. You know, she sings about mediocrity and not wanting to be mediocre. And then there's this uh, towards the end, it's just going da 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 da. And uh, to me, what is more mediocre than that? So I, yeah. I have some mixed feelings about this. Yeah, song. I mean, I choose not to nitpick this album because overall it's so great. And I'm just so glad that they're back. And so da 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 is fine with me, really. And I actually love the melody on this song, too. But I think you're there, too. And I, I remember how you reacted when there was first an indication that they might be recording another album and you got very emotional about it. Yeah, it, it was quite a, an experience because you talked about how well they kept it secret. And I really how they eventually leaked the information was so delightful where there were sort of these various dribs and drabs. There were these flyers that went up in independent record stores that were just the exit of Slater Kinney Road near Olympia and the date of their album release, 1-20-2015. And then the box set came out and there was this empty spot for an eighth album. And then finally in there also was this white seven inch with just the date on it. And when people- yeah, it just had the date like scratched into the white vinyl. Yeah, and when people played it, it was the first single from the album. So let's hear that, Barrier of Friends. Your voice is a 
first that this was an interesting choice to release for the first track because it doesn't necessarily sound like a Slater Kinney song to me. But then in hearing it in the context of the album, I I got it because it gives each of them a chance to shine. Like you've got the weird halftime beat that kind of calls attention to Janet and her interesting choices for percussion that make her amazing. And then you have Corn and Carrie trading off the verses. And so it feels like a song that puts special attention on each of them. And I also like that it kind of, it has a lyric in it that really sums up the Slater Kinney artistic ethos for me, which is, we live in dread in our own gilded age. And I feel like that's what their music is really about for me. It's kind of, there's this anxiousness and darkness, but it's also full of energy. And that is what makes it special. Yeah, I I didn't really notice the drums being a departure. The guitar sound really is a departure, but I think that's appropriate because this is kind of a revolutionary statement of, you know, we're returning and you get this sense that talking about burying the idols that they recognize how seriously people take this band and kind of are aware that, hey, maybe to resurrect, they're resurrecting the past. Is that going to destroy the present in some sense? Those come in hand in hand but maybe they're back and stronger than ever. There's this great lyric, my body has no need for sleep this time around. And that's just kind of scary almost, but awesome and exhilarating. And that you get that sense that this are, these are the same three people. They all have a sense to shine, but it's not the same band that it was a decade ago. And you look at the work that all these people have done. Corin Tucker did a couple of solo albums and then Janet and Carrie were half of Wild Flag. And you can definitely hear Wild Flag's influenced in this next song, New Wave. sounds like a wild flag song and i i love this song because it anticipates what they already know everyone is going to say about this album and just shoots it down and destroys that expectation and i'm one of the people i i don't think i'm alone that want to see slater kenny come back coming back as like these are our feminist superheroes coming back to save the world and there's definitely a sense i think among a lot of women my age or at least among my friends and people that i talk to that the whole Riot Girl movement and like that started with Bikini Kill and then Slater Kinney and reminds me of me in college where we were all badass and going to change the world and then kind of passing that torch down to the millennials who just kind of dropped the ball, not to discount what a lot of young women are doing. And in fact, there's an interview that NPR did where the girls from Broad City interviewed the women of Slater Kinney and they, you know, there are these young women who are looking up to them as 
mentors and they're they're really saying some smart things and there are there are some great young women out there but then you also have the taylor swifts and lana del rey's of the world saying like well i wouldn't consider myself a feminist because i like men and like just all these really idiotic things where you just you know you see that they don't get it and it's frustrating so anyway, I want to see this Slater Cunning coming back as kind of they're coming back to reinvigorate us and make the changes that the generation behind us never made. But then at the same time, I think what this song is saying is that this isn't about politics. This is about us and our personal connection and our art. And I really respect that because I think if you look at it as too much of a political statement, it's dismissive of their art, which is really powerful. But in its way, though, this is I think this is subversive art, though, that they're you, know, you talk about how it's subverting that expected anticipated reception. But I think musically, it's almost this Trojan horse. It's super poppy. And, you know, as you said, it sounds kind of like Wild Flag. Corin's guitar work is very kind of boom, boom, boom. It's a sort of like super simple bass line. And this is, you know, the poppy accessible song that they played on Letterman last uh, week or so ago. And it's the first public performance. And amazing. Go find that online and watch it because mm-hmm. they're so good. And yet this poppy song just has this crazy guitar jam and total drum freak out stuck in it. And they totally work. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I didn't like about The Woods, which was their last album, was it had these super long guitar jams that I just didn't have the patience for. And here it's like they're taking that energy, but really distilling it down into a a really succinct statement. Yeah, I just was so happy with this sharpness. It's a really pleasant surprise. You know, comeback albums are such the place for kind of self-indulgence. And I was really appreciative of the interviews where they said, like, oh, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep pushing ourselves. If anything, I think, though, I didn't really see them pushing into new sounds so much, but I think it's really going through all of their back catalog, all their different ideas and approaches and kind of condensing that and synthesizing it into something that's made of what's old. And parts of these songs would fit, I think, easily in on their earlier albums and yet taken together and combined in this way, it does come up with something new and they're moving forward and not just indulging in nostalgia. And, you know, you talk about songs that wouldn't fit necessarily on their previous albums, but I think that's also true of the next track we're going to play, which is the second track on the album, and it's called Fangless. that in just over a minute there we get this quiet clean guitar solo which would absolutely fit in on their fourth and quietest album the hot rock then it goes into this impassioned vocal interplay between the two lead vocalists and even in there i think there's a little electronic texture and also i think really winningly 
this is a band that knows how to begin a song really quickly and get into business. And they're also a band that knows how to wrap things up in a hurry. And I think only one song on this track, on this album rather, just tails off the rest of them and in, in a hurry like this one. Yeah. And I, I love the way that it's also almost a funk guitar style and the drumming is this really in- intricate syncopation. And it's just a reminder that all three of them are really skilled musicians, but none of it is showy and it just works together in a really subtle way. And I, I think also not showy is the fact that this I think you gave me the interpretation that this was about disillusion with disillusionment with Obama and once I heard that I couldn't think of it any other way but then when I compare it to some of the political anti-Bush songs on one beat I think this is a thing that really is more general and universal about this idea of believing in someone and being disappointed and I think that same universality of sort of struggle and solidarity runs through a lot of these songs and Definitely this next song, Surface Envy. Sending guitar line at the beginning and then the way the beat changes up, especially at the start of the song. And the song has so much symbolism. There's so much going on here. It's about coming up from underground or underwater. We had kind of a disagreement about that. <laughs> and then it's a, it's also about celebrating collectivism and that great chorus about working together to make change. It was just a really powerful anthem for me. Especially the placement of this. It's the third on the album and it comes after... Uh, price tag and fangless which are these two tracks about sort of economic depression and political disillusionment and now there's this song about coming together and it's really triumphant and i think as much as we talked about them working together i think this is a song where letting them play to their strengths corin just takes over the vocals and blasts them out of the park and carrie brownstein does her um, just focuses on the guitar and it's blistering the just the virtuoso work I also think this album probably has more sing-along chorus songs than on any of their previous albums combined, really. And another example of that is the title track, which also comes next on the album, which is No Cities to Live.
funny you mention this as being a sing-along because in fact the band released a video of a bunch of their famous friends singing along to the song until at the end the band takes over and it's a really fun video and I think the song was not one that I immediately took to it was kind of growing on me but then I saw that video and it made me realize this is going to be great live and just seeing how there are these lyrics that are really ambiguous and kind of evocative of this apocalyptic nihilism giving way to finding meaning in other people and the thought of a crowd of people singing along to that and putting their own meaning into it it's going to be really exciting yeah one of the things that Carrie said in that interview in NPR that I referenced earlier that this is the first album that they've ever recorded without playing the songs live first and sort of seeing how the audience reacts to them and so she was saying that they're really excited about the fact that they see recording them as a first step and then they're going to take them out on the road and play them for people. And by giving them to the audience in a performance, they're sort of setting them free into the world. And I thought that was a really great image. Yeah, I can't wait to see that and hear that happen. Because in the past, there have been songs that I didn't really get on the album. And I think the one that jumps out in that category is Light Rail Coyote off of One Beat. I didn't really get it. And then I saw it live and really came to love it. And I do expect that's going to happen. I think I didn't love all the songs in this album. Some of them were kind of slow burn and are growing on me. But I have a hunch that when I see them live, it's they're going to open up. And I, these ones that didn't really stand out before are going to maybe perhaps even become some of my favorites. And that's what I'll say is that this is the best live band I've ever seen. They put out great albums, but as good as the albums are, they're so much better live. I had the good fortune to see them over 10 times prior to the hiatus. And when they announced it, my only regret was that I hadn't seen them more. So I'm so happy that we now we get this chance to see them again. Yeah, and they're not coming to San Francisco until the end of the tour. They're playing at the Masonic on May 2nd and 3rd. And I think you can still get tickets for that Sunday night show. So you definitely should. Yeah, what's wrong with you, San Francisco? Why is that show not sold out <laughs> yet? So go get those tickets if you can afford them because you will not be sorry. And with that exhortation, I'm going to cut myself off because I will could go on for another several hours about how great this band is and simply say that we'll leave you with one of the real, I think one of the heavier tracks on the album and one that I have a hunch that if you get to see them live, it's going to melt your face. So here's no anthems. <laughs> 